<clears throat> so freeing up and uh, freedom is one of the words we use for the what our practice is about aiming for freeing things up freeing up and uh, life programs work programs social programs in general are not about freeing up they're about uh, fixing about, uh, constant fixing into particular duties functions routines property relationships and being a fixed entity being a person steady constant doing you know with a certain routine and so forth and the more highly evolved the social structures are the more fixed those things get you get institutions which are extremely fixed and the more fixed it gets the less empathic the less sensitive it gets so we get fixed into a duty we get less sensitive to what's appropriate right now what feels okay what feels what, what, I'm, what I'm feeling the more fixed we get the less we respond to, to feeling till eventually we don't feel much at all apart from fixed <laughs> you know, so you know you can get a city of people a thousand people on their treadmills running to, to work where they're going with their times, dates, duties, functions all set and there's not a lot of empathy flushing around in the atmosphere you know it does people are human so naturally if they see something tragic happening there probably not a lot of people respond some people probably won't <laughs> just keep going you know, but the tendency is the more structure and fix we get the less free free space there is to really feel and sensitize and relate and open and process things you know? and yet you know, social socialization tends towards more and more structuring. And of course, you know, the high the highest form of structure is the institution, political, religious institution says this is it. What you feel doesn't really matter because this is the way it is. It's going this way. And you don't really count actually. You know, it's going like this. And um, you know, we, we can experience those. And uh, kind of grip that they have on us. So you see somebody in uniform, you see, see me in uniform, does that bring up a feeling of somebody who's going to, you know, put pressure on me, blame me, you know, dis- disapprove of me, order me around, you know. So I even get that with policemen. You know, I see a policeman, I don't really think it, I just get a feeling of this guy could grab me, you know, Without, without no, no negotiation. <laughs> you, excuse me, sir. Quite politely, but taken, and you know your freedom would be curtailed, and you'd be put somewhere. You, know, you go through customs; it's the same thing. You know, wave your little bit of paper, your book. They don't like it, and say, "Over there, you," and that's it. <laughs> and there's no negotiations. No, well, how are you feeling about that? So these are the extreme forms, and the more that we, um, more kind of developed our societies get in those terms, 
the more those institutional structures strengthen and, and hold us. Mm-hmm. You know, we all, you know, the 1984 scenarios, completely impassive, merciless state, dehumanization. The most dreadful thing we can probably imagine, because there's no, no empathy. The most dreadful thing that can happen to us is the loss of empathy. Because then when the empathy is lost, anything can be done. And you just know how, how brutal humans can be when they lose empathy. This is the most dreadful thing that can happen. So anything that takes us out of that is dangerous for our own welfare, the welfare of others. Anything takes us that, you know, is taking us that direction is, is perilous and to be avoided, to be checked, to be not to be encouraged. And yet, of course, all of us find we are living according to routines. We have these numbers on discs that tell us what time it is. <laughs> and then, you're late. <laughs> Shouts. You're late. You're not on time. Hurry up. You know, and you move numbers, you know, which are not going to, they're not going to look after you when you're ill. They don't care for you. Those numbers will tell you, get moving, you know. <laughs> or you lose or you get disapproved of, or something like that. So this is a a non-empathic relationship, isn't it? Because it doesn't feel anything, and it's non-negotiable. How many of those do we we kind of end up internalizing? How much of the, of the, that process do we internalize so that you know we we're internalizing the institution or the automatic or the, the what I call the tyrant the tyranny and the tyranny generally the one one uh, the features of it are is act quickly act quickly Go, stop, be quiet, speak up. It's quick. There's no room to feel and sense. That's one aspect of the tyranny. Anything that can get you moving quickly is, uh, is, a, is something that's prone to the, the tyranny. Second is you have no choice. You know, don't faff around thinking about it. There's no choice here. You've got to, you've got to do this. Another feature is obligation. You must. You ought to. You'll be bad if you don't. You'll be lost if you don't. Everybody else is doing it. You should. You ought to. You ought to. You should. Quickly. Whether you feel it's you need to or want to or happy with it or enjoy it, it doesn't matter. You ought to. It's obligation, duty, speed. It's also very black and white. This is right, that's wrong. There's no, well, this is, has some good results and this is not, so, you know, you might feel more comfortable with this, but you know, it's just right, wrong. 
and institutions and automatic very much likes those nice black white thinking black white structures either in or out and you can see like religious forms this is fundamentalism isn't it you're either the cursed or the blessed there's no sort of shifting in in and out of those territories <laughs> no soft edge to it you're either the damned or or the, or the blessed when it gets to fundamentalist this isn't necessary I'm not saying any this is necessarily a part of spirituality but it can under the influence of the tyrant that's what it turns into it can go that way so this isn't a condemnation of any particular religion or spirituality, but just recognizing the force of the tyrant when it takes over and it comes from ignorance within us and we can cooperate with it and it tends towards those very strong views. But the reassuring thing is the tyrant, the tyranny, you feel very... You, if it, you can feel very steady in it because it holds you steady. One thing about being in prison is it's steady. <laughs> it's nice and clear and firm. You know exactly where you are. So you can, it offers that. It offers complete stability. It's frozen, solid. The more, more it is. And that, that's the kind of why, one reason why we, we kind of buy into it because that ambiguity, uncertainty, if he maybe should be not quite certain, isn't very comfortable. And then we'll go, oh, that's certain. So we'll obey orders. So I mean, did an, um, you know, particularly for somebody wearing a uniform, of course. There's a famous experiment, uh, Stephen Mil- Milgram, I think, in the 60s, where he'd, the experiment was a kind of fake experiment, but it was a very real experiment. And the fake of it was that he had this setup where there was a guy in a white coat, and the person was brought in to this control room, and they could say, uh, look through a screen and see there's another person in another room. And the person in the white coat would say, we want you to test this person's, um, you know, ability to, um, to answer questions. Yes and right and wrong. Yes and no. If they answer it wrong, you give them a slight, you twist this button, it gives them a slight um, electric shock, you know, to <laughs> get it wrong. <laughs> you know? Or something like that. So the idea was that the, the person's brought in had this, was asked by the person in the white coat, the uniform, just to do this. And if the person behind, in the, you know, uh, in the other room got it wrong or made a mistake, you turn this button, it gives a little shock to help them to learn. <laughs> so they, uh, and this is for the sake of science and knowledge, you know. So the idea, well, of course, it was a complete fake. There was no shock being delivered. But the guy, the person in the in the other room would kind of, oh, 
like that. Oh. And they'd register, and the signal would say, painful. And it would go up to painful, extremely painful, and dangerous, and then even fatal. <laughs> and uh, so it was a complete fake, nothing was happening. But the experiment was on the person who was con- on the control knob, and the person in the white coat would say, you have to give him another shot. And the needle would go up to dangerous. He said, well, I don't want to do this. No, you have to do it for the sake of science. And they found that two-thirds of the people would actually be able to turn this control point up to dangerous and even fatal. Under the command of the person in the white coat, the man in the uniform. That it completely skewed their empathic and moral sense under the, through authority. And the authority was, no matter how much the person protested, the person in the white coat would say, no, you have to do this. This is for the sake of knowledge, understanding, science. You have to do this. And they would do it. And the, the, it was just an experiment on our ability to override empathy. And they found it's quite shocking that reasonable, ordinary people just taken off the street would actually do this. Who yeah. People who are not, you know, psychotic or unpleasant, which is average people, would obey to that point. There's the tyrant. Yeah. That's an extreme example. But we look at a particular, you know, thing that that we will do, we will override empathy, uh, feeling things out, sensitivity for goal, for goal orientation, um, for uh, security, to be obedient to authority, um, so that we will be not rejected. If you don't do this, you'll be chucked out. You'll be thrown out. You'll be one of the cursed, the rejected, the misfits, the dropouts, the people who don't succeed, the failures, the left out. So the threat is, if you don't do this, you'll be thrown out of communion. If you're in it, you're in a communion, but the communion of the tyranny, (laughs) which is actually non-empathic. non-empathic. So then we start to fake a kind of feeling of, uh, of um, happiness when we're in that authority. Yeah, we're all fine here, it's good. It's good. So this can happen in, in certainly in religious groups, isn't it? We're all happy and great, good, we all believe, we're all totally grateful and sincere and uplifted. Because if we're not, we'll get chucked out of communion and then we'll lose that, that sense of being part of it. And fundamentalist groups tend to operate and find themselves moving around that. I was reading this story of one of these kind of America fundamentalist um, religious group and the leader of it 
and they were kind of his anti-abortion, anti-gay, anti, you know, <laughs> you can just create the list. So they would go around and they would be trying to uh, cast out Satan to the satanic influences in the, in the, in the town, which would be all the kind of sloppy, lazy, you know, what called uh, gay or, you know, people who were not totally sort of clear and up and straight and true and devout and so forth, believing in the Lord. And so he was one of these, and kind of fulminating against the gays. And then about, about six years, they found out this chap was actually having a, uh, had been having sexually abusing some young man, <laughs> which is often the case it is, where it is, even though he'd been ranting against gay people, he'd actually been sexually abusing not even a, a young young man. So then he was, of course, cast out. And somebody asked him, you know, a few years later, well, you know, what was happening? He said, well, I had to, you know, I had something so dark, so dark inside me, I just had to believe in the Lord to take me away from this darkness. And so he had to get this huge belief system going and believe in it with such intensity that he would lose empathy so that he'd suppress his own darkness through that mm. so this is the state people get in humans get in this state human beings get in this state to various ways or other Aspects of what we experience which we're not comfortable with, which we feel frightened of, which we feel are dark or shady or malevolent or improper or dirty or things you don't want to let other people know about the dark side. You know, something you want to stop, don't stop that. Get, either go away from it by believing in something else or at least cut it off, you know. So you get start the structure around an inability to relate to, you know, what is it? Anger, hatred, um, lust, fear, guilt, inadequacy, those things. So then we kind of psych up. And a belief system is comforting because it holds us from dropping into those places. So once you go into belief systems, then you're in the, the, the rigidity starts. And the rigidity is, this, is the tyrant, which drives you to be purer and more perfect and then start to look around and scorn others and so forth. So cutting off empathy. And, you know, the simple... Ideally, on an ideal level, <laughs> theoretically simple thing is to increase empathy, including eventually empathy with our own darkness. Doesn't mean you like it, doesn't mean it's great, doesn't mean you approve of it, doesn't mean you act upon it, but you at least, uh huh. And empathy is the ability to feel with, to be in the presence of without reacting. To be in the presence of and to feel 
feel the feeling without reacting to it. Doesn't mean changing it. It doesn't mean putting it up. It doesn't mean understanding it. Although some of those might be useful at times. It just means being in the presence with feeling without reacting, without freezing, without rigidifying, without, in fact, making a self out of it. I am this, I'm not this, I should be this, I shouldn't be this. I always was this, I always will be this. That's one aspect of freezing. We create permanent self. And it's not true, is it? I'm sure we experience all kinds of things, you know. Happy, unhappy. The quality of empathy is a very deep love because it's a love that doesn't ask anything back, doesn't ask for any returns, doesn't even particularly want you to be good. But it's the quality of the heart's ability to open, embrace, include everything. It doesn't cast out anything. doesn't mean we're going to act upon every thought and feeling that we have, but we can at least be present with that, feel it. And empathy is very much supported by embodiment, because the body, the sense of the body, provides the stability which is the antidote to the stability of power, autocracy, tyranny. So what I'm saying, you know, why do we go into those fixed structures that actually speed us along, that rush us into things, that create stop-go traffic lights, it creates urgencies and demands. Why do we go into them? Because they give us a sense of stability. Everybody else is doing this. I feel it's a track I can run down. Knowing that we need stability, saying, well, try a stability that's happening in your own body wherever you go. Here and now. Try that one. Try to be in that. And it's not a not your fingers or your hands, it's the sense, the inner sense of the body, the embodiment, the sense of, I am here. It's a very, it's non-verbal, I am here is not a bad way of expressing it, but of course it's not those words, but I am here, or who is here, or where am I, may take us to that place of, wait a minute, where am I? Not visual stuff, that's going to change. Where am I that, where is the where is the here that doesn't change? And that's embodiment. Sense of presence. So that gives us a core stability that nobody's gonna take away. Doesn't need to be structured, it's given. Because it's given, we relax into it, we don't have to create it or make it. It doesn't seem that impressive. It's neither male nor female. It's not good or bad. It's just here. And that gives the mind a kind of simple stability. It doesn't have an opinion. It isn't right and it isn't wrong. And it helps to coax us out of the 
searching for right, wrong, good, bad, true, false. Better was the searching for that. It takes us out of that search for it. When we don't search for it, then something will actually start to open up and sense. This feels freer, this feels more beautiful, this is less constricted, this is, yeah. This one is tightening, agitating. I think I'll, this one feels what I want to be like. Yeah. So yeah, there's assessment, but it's not the same as judgment. Judgment's final verdict, delivered by the implacable charges. And the assessments, the wise sensitivity of this feels right, this feels appropriate, this feels balanced, this feels steady, this feels clear. I would say there's beauty in it. It's not important, but it's beautiful. It's not urgent. <laughs> but it's beautiful. It's peaceful. Any time we get a hint of that, or smell that, or sense that, my advice is that's where <laughs> that's where you want to go. That's what you want to trust in. It's my sense of it. The rest of it has to, you know, adjust around that in terms of how we're going to act or behave. So switching on, you know, first sense is that I am here, or where am I? And from there, how am I? How am I? What am I in? What am I with? First thing is, where am I? If you don't know where you are, how you can judge how you're feeling? Because in fact, you'll just be measuring one set of ideas and emotions against another. You haven't got a neutral place. A neutral place is I am here. There's no stack. Here it is. And in the empathic sense is, well, what am I with and how is that? I may very well be with tiredness, stiffness, staleness, uh, agitation. So, okay, let's just get back to here and bring up, you know, using the breathing to make that sense of here something that itself has got a flowing quality to it. It's not tight, it's not rigid. And very, very most primary exercise is just to gently breathe, feel the breathing through that movement of vitality through your body, and that will naturally signal a certain loosening up of psychology. The embodied mind, the mind is embodied, so our strong patterns of behavior will have bodily effects. And a lot of the body stiffness 
is because we're psychologically stiff, because we're structured, so we carry. Even if there's nothing to carry, we're still in the carrying mode. We still walk around with a weight on our back. So you just start to loosen up. Even though there's nothing to close down and defend ourselves, our chest is still defended. So they get stuck in these positions, postures. So you start to, you know, put some energy into opening it up. The face, very sensitive area, it's our kind of shop window, our business card, there it is, slap it down, this is who I am. Well, that's pretty stressful, isn't it? <laughs> Having a face as an identity, well, what does that do? You know, it's got to look good and bright and cheerful and shiny all the time. No, just let it slop. <laughs> let the face hang. You know, it's just the, look at it, just physical muscles and stuff hanging off, of, hanging off your bones. Yeah. Feeling the face, sensations around the eyes and the cheeks. Letting it be loose. It's like taking some mask off. Breathing through. And that's, uh, that immediately is empathy because with empathy we are touching, we're being in the presence of how it is. If how it is is stiff, stale, that's fine. It's not fine, but doesn't mean you can't be present with it. Be present with it. And then making that presence something that's got a certain breathing vitality to it. As the body begins to get a different signal, the signal is, you're welcome, that's okay, here we are, no problem, receive this, it starts to soften, and the mind begins to follow it. The mind begins to loosen up. That's, that's the psychology of breathing. Is there anybody who can't breathe? You know? Why well, that's such a main theme of Buddhist meditation. The Kaya Sankara, the bodily formation, affects the Chitta Sankara, which is the perceptions, moves and attitudes of mind. The two are interrelated. Now that's a process, so it has its time, it doesn't happen overnight. Uh, and you want to really find yourself breathing, feeling it everywhere, through your neck your shoulders, up behind your jaw, around your eyes, your ribs. Don't think breathing is just a nose and lung job. Vitality moves everywhere. You want to get it to move everywhere. Defended places. The other main theme of practice is the qualities of talk, just touched into them, we're chanting them, the, uh, of, the intentionalities are associated with goodwill, nourishing, 
How can I nourish? This is the quality of metta. How can I nourish? Because it's nice, it's enjoyable to nourish. One of the things that, you know, right across the board gives people the most sense of delight and pleasure is to, to nourish physically, psychologically, emotionally. It's lovely. To meet someone else's needs. Because tyrants don't do it very well. When you're in a tyranny, it doesn't. You say you don't deserve it. <laughs> well, you're not one of us, you don't get me. <laughs> tyranny does that. But for the empathic sense of showing that one of the most delightful things is to, is metta, to be able to meet others' needs. Karuna, to be able to defend, or take away somebody's pain or share their pain. Make them not feel so lost and alone in their pain. Somebody's in pain and sickness, you say, oh, well, I'm, I'm here for you, I'm with it. You know, that's karuna. To not close off pain, the painful. Mudita, to celebrate, to appreciate the good, to appreciate the beautiful in oneself and in others. There's a lot of that. When you when you tune to empathy, the empathic sense is a lot of beauty. Tyrannies don't see beauty; they see things as being important, <laughs> or valuable, or worth money, or necessary. Beauty, nah. <laughs> so once you get in, in a tyrant state, a tyranny state, you don't see it even. So we start to suggest, where is the beautiful? That can help us. Where is the beautiful in... In the present. Don't say, not say visually beautiful. Could be triggered by visual things, it could be the beautiful in terms of uh, uh, gentleness, kindness, supportiveness, stability, people's resilience is beautiful, people's um, sincerity is beautiful, people's eagerness is beautiful, people's willingness to struggle is beautiful, people's daring is beautiful, people's (laughs) <laughs> There's a lot of it, actually. When you tune into it, you get a sense of, oh, good for her. Yeah, that's a real girl. That's a good girl. That's an interesting guy. Tyrant is not polite. He's not on time. He's not right. That's not the right thing to say. He's not good enough. She's too big. Mudita is... Uh, the ability to discern and appreciate the beautiful. Then they get more of it. You see more and more beauty. Mm-hmm. Equanimity, the ability to be serene with all of it. The ups and downs. Just, okay, something to be learned here. Something has to be allowed to move here. Something has to be allowed to change here. From this to that. It will, this too will change. 
something has to be allowed to arise and pass. Sometimes we don't want things to arise. Oh no, oh no, it's disturbing me. Oh no, oh no, oh no, this is a problem. Oh no, oh no, I don't know what to do. Oh no, oh no, oh no, who's this? Oh no, oh no, this is disturbing, this is, isn't it? Equanimity, something is moving, something is happening. Uh huh. And then sometimes we don't want things to change, to end. Oh, that was nice, why does it have to end? That was good, why does it have to change? I was having a good time then, why do I have to leave? Equanimity, this too will pass, something else is going to come. So you trust the process. This is the qualities of heart. So, you know, that's an inclination. There's an intentionality to that to look out for those signs to pick up anything that gives you those signal signals perceptions living in t- room it's pretty easy I would think not to be that difficult maybe to get a sense of you know wow people have made some effort to get here that's good and income it's not going to be easy it's not about fun. It's not full of sensory delights. You're not getting paid for it. <laughs> well, that's good, isn't it? Pick that up. And it looks like, you know, some people struggle with their knees, their backs, and so forth. You get a feeling of compassion. Yeah. And uh, appreciation of the courage and the resolve that's there. This isn't that difficult. If you just prime yourself to, to think in those terms, sometimes you have to just prime it because it's easy for the tyrant mind. She coughed. He banged the door. <laughs> She's late. <laughs> Takes over, doesn't it? So you start to switch on the empathic sense. One of the easiest ways to switch that on is to say we're all brothers and sisters in aging, sickness and death. <laughs> Doesn't sound the happiest kind of turn on. When you get to that, you think, okay, you know, okay. When everybody's on the deck of the Titanic and it's going down, you don't quarrel who's got the best chair. <laughs> who's got the nicest view? <laughs> Who got there first? doesn't matter because we're going that way it's just okay hang on you know may you be well let's try and <laughs> go gracefully go peacefully go with love in our hearts rather than bitterness and regret so it sounds like bitter medicine but that one of, one of the turnings on of the empathic sense is just to acknowledge not whether she's tidy whether he's polite whether she's this or that, and he's not this, and he's not, but just, wow, this person too experiences physical pain. This person too fears loneliness. This person too gets sad and depressed. This person too has worries and concerns. This person too is subject to cancer, is subject to, you know, diabetes, is subject to, you know, at the best you can do is get old and crumble. (laughs) 
just waiting for some disease, some organ to rebel on you and finish you off and cause you pain. You look around in a room like that and you're thinking, well, right, this is where we are. My goodness, my heart goes out to you. <laughs> and suddenly all the names and uniforms drop off. And then we come out of that to empathy. And so we switch that on. You know, this is why it's useful in many cases to, to practice in groups because there's that possibility of switching on the empathic sense. Of course, you can also go the other way, can't it? You get in my way. But switching that on, and then what about this one? The true qualities, as it's described in this, touched into this chant, is to others as to myself. This is where we train, because to others as to myself. And it's often easier to do the generous to others than it is to do the generous to yourself. To do the compassion to others than to do the compassion to yourself. It's often easier that way. And uh, this can cause a problem in that we end up kind of making compassion and kindness a social duty or a social obligation or a, 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 an obligation in relationship. I have to be kind and good and sweet to you no matter what, you know, so that you won't reject me. So you get into these obligation relationships, and that's a tyranny too. So it's got to be, how's this feeling with me? And you're a sort of, ah, uh, a referencing. Is that my perception of you? how I'm sensing you, because I don't actually know you, I can only guess, I can only sense what's happening to me. Am I getting compulsive? I've got to do something. Am I getting frightened? Am I feeling like obliged to make something happen for you? I mean, how's that for me? Certainly teaching is great for that, because you get a lot of this feeling you've got to help and make everything work for everybody else. And be happy, be happy and good and positive, you end up totally exhausted. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I don't want to teach another retreat, oh, it's so much work. And so it's that feeling of, well, I don't know, that perception, feeling too activated, too much, I've got to make it work right now. No, that's not correct. It's steadier, it's steadier. I give you the permission, the loving permission to feel free to go through your process, to feel what you feel. I give you the permission to do that. You don't have to please, delight me, convince me that I'm great at teaching. <laughs> you know, you can let it, it's your time. And if I allow that, then I think, well, also for me. I don't have to be perfect, exactly right, totally correct. Everything you ever wanted. <laughs> don't, don't do that to me. <laughs> I don't want to do it to you, okay? <laughs> and then we get a sense of, ah, now we're a little bit freer. And there's a quality of love 
and fellowship that occurs that's actually much better than everybody being right and nice to each other pleasing each other the sympathy doesn't need that it doesn't need you can be angry with people and still feel empathy for them doesn't you know you can feel irritated and still feel there's the irritation and it touches and it doesn't freeze into malice there's a sense of irritation doesn't freeze into malice no. okay. that's that's loving is the ability to receive any of these negative influences and not get phased by it and let it, just let it dissolve so it's not we're fixed into a constant steady state approval experience <laughs> with ourselves or with others but we've got the capacity to receive what's felt as human as alive it's okay breathing in, breathing out and that one dissolve there's no malice, there's no guilt, there's no blame there's sadness there's irritation there's anxiety, uncertainty. It doesn't go freeze into fear, malice, guilt. This is you coming out of the tyranny. When we're trying to have the mind totally sweet and serene and steady all the time, that's another tyranny. That's another See, but relating to what arises is alive, it's flexible, it's fluid, it's empathic, it's in the moment, it's sensitive. Check it out. This is what uh, I feel most present with, least stressed with, most honest about. Freeze me up. So let's uh, reflect on that a little bit. Anything there that's useful? And uh, continue your practice. <laughs>